0: Today we're going to look into why, why Satan wants us so bad on this planet, why he believes that it's his, and why he'll stop at nothing to destroy us to get it. I know it's fun. Welcome back to Drilling Town. So glad that you guys are here coming at you from Chicago, Illinois. I am wrapping up a week here in Chicago, uh, getting ready to fly in a few hours to Minneapolis, spend a week there with our uh, men and women that are away from home on cat giant hailstorms. There are lots of storms in Minneapolis. They are tired and uncle Kyle is going to give them some love. It's been great guys working 10 to 12 hours a day here in Chicago running and gunning, making sure that our fuel inspectors are loved and taken care of. Man, it's a dream job. Pinch me. So I'm fitting these in when I can. Obviously, these are business trips, so I am, you know, uh, very cautious to only do them on times when I would have them to myself, like today, when I am getting ready to fly and move around the country. So, uh, so grateful for you guys to be here. I'm excited for this one today. Uh, had a few people reaching out to me that know about Timothy Alberino's work that were pumped. I was finally covering this I'm going to drink my coffee live on air. Check this out. It's early. Got up this morning, guys. I was in bed by 7 o'clock central time last night. Got up this morning, worked out. Went to, uh, got my breakfast here at the lobby. And now I'm getting a little of this humpage in here. It's, uh, Uncle Kyle old now. He's not as fun as he used to be. That's that's really his life. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, really liked our discussion last time. And we're going to kind of, think take the magnifying glass the microscope for you hip kids and uh, put it into what's going on here uh, skimming around chapter four timothy alberino's book entitled birthright this chapter is called mankind and while again we have covered this some i'm not going to you know i'm going to let you need to buy the book so that you can get more into what we're talking about here i'm just going to give a again a thirty thousand foot view and how it pertains to where we're going We talked last time about that interval part of Earth when it was without form and void and the Spirit of God hovered over the depths of the darkness of the deep. I believe keeping that ancient serpent on lockdown on this planet that had been body slammed and suplexed by Yahweh from the top ropes. We want to go back to that moment when we see that God wants to renew this terrestrial planet, this realm. And if we look at it now from the guise of it had been obliterated by an ancient war, I think we're going to begin to look at the earth differently as well as man and what the enemy and those that are on our side are fighting for remember that story about Elisha in the last one right they're on both sides and we're going to focus more and more more and more on that as we move throughout this entire series I'm going to read from Timothy's book here I don't I don't I, I don't try to quote it all the time, you know, because that's, that would be plagiarism. And really I'm promoting the book. So I'm kind of interdispersing my thoughts with some of his sometimes, but I will tell you when I'm reading from him for the most part, may we imagine the scene. Timothy says black clouds billow above a cold turbid sea, haunting the eternal night with the foaming of its barren waves. And suddenly a voice thunders in the dark, Let there be light. Like that? I just throw that in there. thats I don't use effects for that, guys. That's how cool I am. (sniffs) Plus, I'm too lazy to freaking go back and put any cool effects on. (laughs) What do you think you're listening to here? Belief hole? Come on, guys. I don't have that much time on my hands. All at once, a torrent of wind rips through the atmosphere, rendering the clouds asunder and revealing the long-forgotten sun, S-U-N, whose golden rays plunged into the water with shimmering spears. Isn't that amazing to think of? This wretched, torn Chernobyl of a place gets the sky spread so that these illuminating nuclear power rods of rays from the sun burst into the waters to bring life. The psalmist describes what happens next. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. The voice of your thunder, they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys, to the place which you founded for them. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. You send forth your spirit. They are created and you renew the face of the earth. Take a sip of my coffee as you listen to that last wording. You renew the face of the earth. (sighs) Never caught that before, did you? The six-day work chronicled in the first chapter of Genesis does not describe the initial formation of a planet, but the renewal of a world shrouded in darkness and covered in the waters of divine wrath. Note the line that precedes the passage above. You covered the earth with the deep as with a garment. This awful picture of a dead planet, guys, now that you have that in your heads for the first time maybe ever, inundated in water before being resurrected to life is a prefiguration of the baptism in Christ Jesus. Baptism, as I've done hundreds of them over my years, they're symbolic, right, of the faith. I got to baptize my kids when we were starting churches on North rock up in Michigan. Symbolic of the faith and the hope of the believer, the water into which a convert in that case, my kids at that moment or yours, or you at one point is submerged represents wrath, judgment, condemnation with the dragon, right? The old man bearing the wrath of God because of sin is emerged into the water. Identifying with Christ, atoning death, a renewed man emerges from the water. Yeah. Yeah identifying with Christ's righteousness and resurrection to eternal life. Those who die in their sins are condemned with the dragon. Those who die in Christ are reconciled to the father and restored to the Edenic mandate for mankind. The Bible says, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we can endure, we shall also reign with him. After five days or maybe epochs of renewal, who knows how long, The earth was radiant with life once again. The gloom of desolation and death was displaced by the glory of God. A new realm had been inaugurated in the cosmos, and it was very good. But what did it lack, I ask you? Oh, it lacked something, and so the king's council was called together, yes? The mightiest, the most powerful, the most glorious of the morning stars. Princes and... Angels, if you will, took their places around his throne. To whom would the deed of earth's dominion be given? This glorious new place, my friends, sprouting and teeming with life. Obviously, the apple of God's eye. Which family, which family crest, which castle in the heavenly realms is going to be given this incredible, unique place Apparently special enough to God to renew. Ah, I bet the angels and all the heavenly hosts, the extraterrestrials, all did what they did when uh, the disciples gathered around Jesus to figure out who would betray him. They kind of all went together and said, texting under the table once again. You know, dude, you think we're getting this? This is so rad. I'm in. I want this. I want this earth so hard. I'm going so hard in the paint for this one. Job actually talks about this moment. See, if we just pay attention to the Bible, it's all coming together. But we don't. But that's why you're here. That's cool. I'm paying attention. Behold, God puts no trust in his holy ones. <laughs> And the heavens are not pure in his sight. Even in his servants, he puts no trust. and his angels, he charges with error. Uh, who amongst the hosts of heaven could be trusted to rule and not rebel? That's the question. So the council deliberated. What they needed was a servant whose heart and mind was uncontaminated by the affairs of the past because there had been a whole thing. I hope this is starting to open your eyes on Adam and Eve. Indeed, more than a servant, a sibling in the royal family, invested with the authority of a son. And so, gang, the resolution came forth. Let us make man in our image. Oh, I've heard this, Kyle. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Guys, we're not going to go into it big here, but this extraordinary pronouncement was vexed. It has just absolutely confounded theologians for millennia. It has supplied gasoline and fire for so many ridiculous debates. The problem, as Timothy Alberino points out here, is in the plurals. Many Bible readers note the plural pronouns, us and our. Let us make man in our image. And they look at that with curiosity, remarks Michael Heiser. Um, obviously, you know who he is. They might suggest that the plurals refer to the Trinity. But technical research in Hebrew grammar and exegesis has shown that the Trinity is not a coherent explanation. The solution is much more straightforward one that an ancient Israelite would have readily discerned. What we have is a single person God addressing a group, the members of his divine council, the lesser gods, lowercase g gods, the Elohim. Now, as we have gone into this plenty, we're not going to, you know, Timothy has has to sit here in his book and do it. Because you always have to do it, because there's always somebody picking up for the first time. But I don't have to do that because I have so many episodes on all of that, right? Fan for fantastic. And so there it was. The king says, "I'm going to make a man." You know, you. You're, I hope you're picturing this in a fairy tale sense, but it's very real. And this guy, this human, he's gonna he's gonna be different, but he's gonna be in our divine council. This is gonna be a big deal. And I'm going to sit there with him, right, in Eden, and we're going to have this incredible place with, you know, uh, mountains and waterfalls, and he'll never have to go anywhere for the rest of his life. It's going to be incredible. He's going to tend this garden, all of it. You know the drill. And here you have a creator giving a special task to someone who others thought they should get that position. Now Yes, I'm drinking coffee live on the air Because I have not had coffee this morning What I should do is not even pause it at some point And then just I'm on the fifth floor And just when I need more coffee uh, Because I'm just going to go down to the lobby and get it I have a coffee maker in my room here But I'm not going to deal with it uh, I should just let it go And you have just five minutes of dead air Of me like going down the elevator <laughs> Getting my coffee I don't know why I'm talking about this So maybe you've experienced this in your life or your job, whatever. Maybe there is someone that has come along in your job that you feel maybe you've been there longer or you just feel you've done a better job and they get promoted. Or there's a new job position that opens up that you really wanted and it's given to someone outside the company. I don't know. Uh, Maybe it happens in in your real life or your, not your real life, but your family life or your sibling. Or someone is given something like prodigal son that you don't believe they should have and so forth and so on. And that's how these angels are feeling. I call them angels, but you you now know them as not, not angels like we talk about. Uh, so, Timothy goes on here and he talks about the image of man. And how... We sort of resemble the morning stars. And he does talk about when these angels do appear to us that they look very much like us for the most part. Now, other times they can come with, you know, lightning bolts shooting out of their their ear holes and uh, their, you know, their feet on fire. And uh, they can look really, you know, pretty, I think, big sometimes as well. But whatever, for the most part, they can easily come. Maybe they look like us. And he says the breathtaking arrogance of the fallen sons of God and the exuberant exuberance exhibited by the faithful sons in heaven demonstrate beyond a doubt that they too are emotionally complex creatures. And I love that. The fact that humans come along and they have to start making decisions. Are we gonna like these guys or are we gonna not? Once again, it should show you that we are not noncorporeal, just flying around heaven. It's a real thing with emotions. Uh, Highly intelligent thought processes and uh, all the like, but under God's eternal governance. Interesting, huh? So manifold are the similarities, Timothy says, between man and the morning stars that if not for the testimony of scripture, one might be tempted to conclude that we are in fact the same race. And that's very interesting. We always separate us from that angelic beings so, so often, extraterrestrials. It is clear, however, that the divine council resolved to create a new kind of creature to govern the earth, one that did not previously exist in the cosmos. Mankind. We were new. We were fun. We were the fun new toy. (laughs) Whereas mankind was fashioned from terrestrial clay, the physiology of the morning stars is of a different nature, a higher nature. Perhaps in the same way that we were created from the substance of a planet, they were created from the substance of a star. Who can say? That is extremely interesting. And that is just how Timothy's mind works. So if you ever want to just go on his great YouTube, or whatever, even, even wherever you listen to pod- by the way, if, best place to listen to this podcast is Spotify by far. Um, you know, there's a lot of different venues, but even I go on, uh, I went on my iTunes the other day. I hadn't been on my I, I Apple podcast in forever. I checked it out and they're like 30, they're missing like 30 episodes of mine. <laughs> so it looks like I haven't done anything for the last two years. It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. And you got to dump the app, not the app, but you got to get rid of drilling down. You got to load it. It's so stupid. So anyway, Spotify is the, the way to listen, but you can go on wherever you listen is my point and type in Timothy Alberino, and you'll hear just endless, just incredible um, interviews with him on different podcasts like mine. Well, not like mine. Guys, I'm going to be honest. I am so sorry to say this, but there are not many things out there doing what I do. And I don't, man, I get, I wake up every morning. I get as low as I can before the Lord. And I mean it. I say, if you don't go before me, Lord, I got nothing. And I mean that here. So I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you it's painful when I try to listen to other people's podcasts. And I'm not saying the ones that aren't like Parcast or You know, obviously, you know, armchair expert or, you know, nationally, Joe Rogan, whatever. Nationally, I don't listen to Joe Rogan, but whatever. Nationally, things that are produced, that's awesome. Okay, great. I'm just talking about people that do it like I do. Yoga. Especially painful when they do interviews. Anyway, that's – I still haven't started doing interviews. I don't need to do them yet. still got some – Got still got something in the tank. Why not? When I can rip off other people's books. (laughs) Okay. So while we're not members of the same race, we are nevertheless siblings in the same family, and such we bear the same likeness, the image of our father. Now, I think that's very fascinating because as Christians, we don't tie that together enough. Us humans are definitely – we are literally siblings with the divine council. We are put in Eden for that place. Go back and listen to my last few episodes. I right, talk about that. We are truly family. We're just kind of living in a different place at the moment. And I can't wait to be reconciled, my heavenly brothers and sisters, as well as those humans who have gone before us and passed. That Adam was created to be a son of God, a son of God, is evidenced in the genealogy of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, the son of Joseph, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, son of Melalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, comma, the son of God. The designation son of God is not incidental. It denotes family and delineates between the creatures of created order. For instance, it delineates between man and apes. Although apes such as chimpanzees, and I mean, you got to love these silverbacks that you see at the zoo, right? And orangutans, man, I love the, the great apes. Exhibits are always my favorite. Uh, they, deg- they show this degree of higher sentience, right? I mean, they're different than any other thing at the zoo. Dolphins are pretty cool too, but you can go to these, these great ape exhibits and you can watch them and go, Whoa, highly intelligent, right? Uh, compared to anything else, like very much like us. You'll, I mean, you'll see them sit there and really be able to think out how they're going to communicate with their children and then, uh, at the same time, they'll turn around and they'll figure out a complex problem. But the thing is, is that they aren't created to be the sons of God. They're not part of the family. And you can see that fall apart when they're solving a problem. And all of a sudden, the big one that's in front of the window that all the kids and everybody's watching sticks its you know, finger up its ass and then pulls out a complete a finger of feces and puts it into its mouth. And you're like, oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I don't do that. I, whatever you're into, cool, man. Um, I don't do that, right? I consider myself a little above that. I mean, not much, but just enough, enough. So, you know, they're not part of the family. Although mankind is not the only image bearer on the block. <laughs> he is afforded a unique privilege. He is permitted, indeed, listen, mandated. To replicate the image through reproduction. There's that sperm thing we talked about last time. The chromosomes of the human species are encoded with the image of God, the seal of man's authority on earth. And then he goes into many, many pages after that in this incredible detail, 10, 15 pages that you got to get the book to read. But it is fascinating. And he's talking all about man's dominion, why he was He is in us. We're given this place. Incredible. Indeed, we were given it, right? And after this epic failure of a coup d'etat and the destruction of their planetary domains, the defected sons of God who hated us who wanted this place, who were banished from the kingdom, who were sealed within the bowels of the earth by the boundless waters that encompassed it. Uh Uh-oh. Remember that cosmic war and the spirit of God hovering over the vast darkness of the deep holding that evil in there? When the earth was rejuvenated and the waters receded, the dragon and his cohorts, now shadows of their former selves, were released from their confinement and subjugated to the dominion of Adam, the newly appointed regent of planet earth. Well, that sucks for them. Now think about this. That this dragon, Satan, Satan, is subject to the, geez, you have to be over 40 to even get that. Sorry about that, guys. That the dragon is subject to the terrestrial dominion of mankind is evidenced in the fact that he has no practical authority in this world. (laughs) It's crazy. His power is perceived through the actions of evil men. He has to use evil into people to get the job done. He has to enter Judas, which I don't think Satan does. I mean, often at all, if ever, guys. That's another thing is we just see that and we figure, oh, Satan's just been entering people all the time. He's like a vampire, you know, just cruises around, enters different. I think, I don't think that's it. Satan, we're going to talk about uh what authority he has and what he doesn't have here. Um, I'm going to read this portion from Timothy's book and just a little bit here. Cause again, I don't want to uh, plagiarize that often. I do want to take some points and then leave much to you to have to buy it. That's the you're not, not going to buy it though. Good carry for you people. Satan does not wield temporal power on earth, but rather the power to tempt those who do. I love that. Uh I'm, I'm going to read it again. Satan does not wield temporal power on earth, but rather the power to tempt those who do. That would be us. It is precisely because he cannot force men to accomplish his will that he must persuade them to become his willing accomplices. So, again, we we see where Satan's not himself is not just entering people and saying, all right, let's go. Just going to use this again, this meat puppet. Boy, what took me back to that punk band? Uh, Like the wild beast baited with the pheromones of carnal desire, wicked men are drawn to political power and harnessed for satanic purposes. Motivated by their own selfish ambition, they become unwitting pawns in the devil's game, moving themselves across the board. When his proxies advance into positions of governmental authority, entire nations may be brought under the sway of the evil one. Guys, come on now. Human society at large is also susceptible to the widespread infusion of satanic influences through the practice of idolatry. Now, hang with me here. This is so good. When men spurn their maker and venerate the powers that oppose him, they authorize the insurgency to exercise a manifest influence in the world that is otherwise prohibited. You see, pagan kings were prone To seek the counsel of the gods when pressing matters were at hand and relied on the divinations of their oracles to guide their decisions, rather than obey the one who gave them dominion on earth, they pledged their fealty to his enemies, abdicated their authority to alien agencies. The fallen morning stars did not sit idly by. Oh, no. Waiting for the day of judgment, they continuously opposed the kingdom of heaven heaven by leading the sons of Adam into lawlessness and idolatry. Listen to this. Pitting them against the king. Like proverbial puppet masters, the dragon princes manipulate the affairs of the world from behind the thrones of men, accruing terrestrial authority through their human proxies. In a popular antidote from the biblical narrative, an angel is dispatched to deliver a message to the prophet Daniel concerning the unfolding of future events. During the course of his journey, he is met with a blockade of enemy forces and requires military intervention to complete his mission. Of course, you know this scripture as I've talked about it often. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, this angel says, 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and they came to make you understand and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. So do you see here where uh, Satan has to use people to do his bidding and he can turn entire nations by doing so, but they have to be willing. Again, this is a a modern, you know, in the last hundred years, Hollywood trope. It's that whole idea of these ghost hunter shows and things where you have to a lot of times, and, and you'll see this with the men in black, the the black-eyed kids, UFO-related phenomenon that is real, gang. You'll see where they cannot do anything unless they are invited. And that's how Satan changes things. Now, I actually, as of this morning, I try not to do too many um Current events, timestamp stuff on my podcast, because again, people will be listening to this five, 10 years down the road. So I I try not to like do too much of that, but I am going to interject something right here as of this morning. Um, because last night, the Supreme Court in the United States overturned Roe versus Wade, which is 50 years of, of course, legalized abortions that is federally. And I don't, you know, we're not going to make this about that, but now it's going to the states. And, um, let me just give you a, a snippet as I'm texting some of my friends. We have a text thread from where I lived many years ago in Toledo. We still keep in contact and text all the time. And um, I'm actually looking down at my phone that's on vibrate on on the floor of my hotel and carpet down here. And it's blowing up because we're talking about this very thing right now. So I'm going to share it. (sighs) uh, You know, in the end times, that the rapture happens and everyone rejoices because the Christians are gone. And then the two witnesses come and, uh, and they're able to lay waste in the name of Jesus. And everybody hates them so badly. Finally, the antichrist is given the power to defeat them. Yet three days later, they rise up and they go, you know, this whole story and that whole or cheers because they're or cheers because they're, they, you know, trade presents like it's Christmas because finally they're rid of all these Christians and these, the church and God, because they're the enemy, right? That's what people think. They're the enemy. Uh, and, even though I preached that for years, I've always said we got a long way to go to get to there. Uh, last night, I'm sitting in my hotel and I went to bed at uh, – I was in bed at 6.30 <laughs> central time. But then I read for an hour or whatever. So I'm reading and I'm uh, reading my Bloomberg. I try to get up on business and economics and all that stuff. I know. It's a, it's a weird me these days. But anyway, I'm reading this article. And this article, I think it was from the New York Times, I don't remember, was praising – had a picture of the Church of Satan on there and uh, praising them for the article they put out last night on how they they stand with women's rights. And they are actually putting together this whole legal tenure and march, and everybody's rallying behind them. And the idea of this article – and I've seen plenty like this – are that thank – I won't say God – Thank goodness these people are saying for the Church of Satan standing up where the Christian Church has become the enemy. Uh, there are millions of marches and riots going on across the U.S. right now, as uh, they're going to be really flaming up tonight. And I'm flying to Minneapolis, which is always an epicenter. I'm staying in Maple Grove, which is a northwest suburb where a lot of our a lot of our inspectors are. But that being said, I'm sure I'll see some action there over the next week. Anyway, anyway, I am literally looking at a world that wants the Christians and God out of their government in the church of Satan in it, literally, literally, so they can continue child sacrifices. We are living in the final days. So Timothy goes on to talk about that encounter of, you know, when we see Gabriel, we see Michael, and we see these angels dealing with these other principalities, these other strong um counterparts of theirs, right? There are real wars going on in the sky for various reasons. And over the course of this entire um, uh, series on Timothy's book, Birthright, we are going to be getting more and more into that, but just hang with me for this moment. So I love this. Um, Timothy's going to break down this portion of scripture, I think better than I've I've ever been able to do it. So I'm going to go with him on this part. I'll reread that portion of Daniel. So you, what you have is this messenger, this very powerful angel that is going to show up to Daniel and says, whew, you know, he's tired. Like you can picture this angel getting there. Daniel craps his pants because the angel is scary and powerful. And the angel's like, hey, well, you know, I'm cool, man. You're cool. You're awesome. Just chill. Whew, I am tired, though, because he says the prince of the kingdom of Persia, right? So remember God put those those fallen angels, the 70, over those nations and said, okay, fine. After the Tower of Babel, you go out. You have Your princes of darkness, they will rule you. I get Israel. Remember? Good. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, this good guy said, 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, and Michael's the man, he came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. This incident is highly intriguing for several reasons. First, In order to even dispatch the message, the angel had to traverse, this is great, an unknown distance by means of an undisclosed technology. I don't know if I'm going to edit that motorcycle out. He was just bringing it, that Harley way down there by Costco. Whatever, you guys don't care. Oh, back to what I'm talking about here. So I think, again, we have this tendency to go, oh, uh, you know, because you're reading about the Ethiopian eunuch and, uh, you know, you're looking at the Old Testament and the, these moments where people seem to get teleported somehow, some way, Peter, you know, whatever. Uh, we look at this, but we've got to break this down. This angel has to go a distance by means of some type of technology. This implies a vehicle of conveyance, and I agree with Timothy on that. Second, the fact that he was blockaded in the course of his journey indicates that the insurgency is also in possession of such vehicles, which they must have deployed to intercept him. I know we don't think of it this way. Third, it is evident that this prince of Persia was able to oppose the kingdom of heaven, but not harm the man Daniel, nor destroy the Hebrews who were captive in Babylon. What we have in this story, Timothy says, is a demonstration of human dominion at work and the sovereignty of God. Isn't that cool? That, that's, that blows my mind. A dragon prince had gained proximal authority through the king of Babylon, Darius, the son of Astras, and was therefore legally authorized to resist the angelic emissary dispatched by the region Under his dominion, the Babylonians practiced idolatry in the extreme. Right, they worship fallen princes, and they empower, which empowered them to operate in their realm. So any a country can bring in any of those things they want, and then we'll take over. Nevertheless, the King of Heaven reserves the right to intervene in the affairs of men, because men, us, do I have to point that out, are his regents on earth whenever and wherever he sees fit. Hence, Michael was sent to break the blockade and ensure the execution of the king's command. Have you ever thought of it that way? Go back and read it. That's what it says. Michael stayed there, worked him over so that I could come to you and tell you what's going to happen in the end times. Michael didn't come, you know, to save him and lay waste to those guys. And they had a little party there. Michael did it. So, that this messenger would do the most important work, it, you know, that it could possibly do. And that is a direct line from Yahweh and Yeshua to Daniel. Timothy says, this rule by proxy modus operandi is further manifest In the temperations of the Christ, by the time Jesus of Nazareth was born at the turn of the first century, the whole world was in thrall to the influences of Satan. Now, I'm going to pause here and interject. This is me breaking in because uh, I've talked about it before and I've thought about it before. Certainly you have too. Why did Jesus come then and not now? You know, like, so when you think about that, that the son of God, this the word that became flesh that was there that obliterated these guys way before we were even created. He's going to have the most important mission and that is to come and save mankind. And you would assume like we just look at that and we go, well, he just happened back then for whatever reason, but it was antiquated. It's all guys It happened then for a reason. It happened then because then and only then was it going to work. The world was under the influence of Satan. Knowing full well that this son of man, born of a virgin, according to the dragon slayer prophecy, was destined to rule the nations, the old serpent attempted to beguile him with a cunning proposition. The Bible says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, You know this when Jesus is tempted. To you, I will give all this authority, Satan says. Can you imagine? I mean, it it is a laughable thing, but listen to it. To you, I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will, Satan says. For it has been delivered to me. Note that the authority over the kingdoms had been delivered to Satan. Nowhere in the biblical narrative is he granted such an endowment by God. Instead, listen, Satan had gradually accumulated his authority through the willful abdication of humans, particularly human rulers. (laughs) Satan's throne throne at the altar of Zeus is a fitting portrait of his rule by proxy. Like the Roman emperors, Greek kings were believed to receive their authority from Zeus. And governed, as his representatives, a brazen alteration of Adam's original mandate to represent the true king of the gods of the earth, lowercase gods, by worshiping Zeus and Jupiter. The Greeks and the Romans were willfully bowing their knee to Yahweh's arch enemy, who made a lurid show of triumph through his proxies on two separate occasions. And he goes in to talk about those Greek and those Roman Moments in the occup, the occupations of Israel in this dragon slayer prophecy. And I'm not going to get into that again. That is something that you need to read the book about. He just does an incredible job of then working through this idea that Satan worked through the men of these opposing countries of Israel and then eventually through the, even the kings, right? As we read, Judah and Israel both get absolutely obliterated by bad king after bad king after bad king. And Judah's holding on. Israel's completely gone at that point when we're getting through the Old Testament. But they all, in the end, fall to idolatry. You still think those are wooden sticks and idols made of stone? Sure, those things existed. What was behind those things? He goes in in chapter five and I'll interject a lot here. We won't spend a whole lot of time because this is chapter five is mainly one of the, one of the ones that you need to invest in on your own. He talks about man being exiles of Eden and then going out into the earth. And we have talked about that a lot. Um, The fact that we were put there to, to govern the earth, Satan hated that. And so by, persuasion, Satan can't defeat Yahweh, of course. So by persuasion, starting with Eve, then with Adam, then with Cain, so forth and so on, is slowly trying to destroy all of mankind, right? And that's where we get to the flood when all flesh was corrupted. You guys know that. And if you don't, you really have got to go listen to Drilling Down in order. So he does an incredible part of uh, talking about the earth in Eden uh, becoming what it is and how Satan dealt with that, how he couldn't stand that. So again, that chapter, chapter six, chapter seven, uh, I'm going to leave in the hands of Timothy. He goes in and he talks about the golden age of men. Now we're starting to get into the empires of the earth, right? Uh, we start getting into that portion of history. And trust me, we're getting to that place, guys, where, we're going to talk about modern day <laughs> and, and all of that, but you have to lay the groundwork. Okay, we've done it in various ways, but this is just a great way to, I think, um, I think, do it concisely and with the brilliant thoughts of Timothy and my interjections, which are brilliant. I mean, come on, guys, I'm a genius in my own mind. The ancients did not look forward with eager eyes to the prospects of humanity's future. Instead they look back with the yearning of the days of yore <laughs> when the gods walked among men. That's that's something that we have to stop and think about. Everybody's trying to get back to what it was. Now these these fallen angels are trying to get everything back to that golden age. You see that? Why? Why because it was when they had the most power, it was when they were were together, they ruled the world. And these pesky humans came along and they almost got them defeated. And then the flood happened and then it was restarted again and almost ended again. And then the Tower of Babel happened and then, the, you know, everything was put out. You have you to understand they aren't sitting there looking at um, our future as something they're pumped about. They're looking to end us. I always think of the original Transformers movie, which again, I'm not big into those movies. Like Michael Bay took it way – Holy cow, way beyond what I cared to see. Anyway, uh like the first one, I thought it was really cool how when the first Decepticon, it's a police car, kind of rolls past. And, you know, police cars always have their mottos on their cars, and it's something like to serve and protect or whatever. And I forget exactly what this one said, but it's the first time you see it where this police car looks kind of menacing, pulls up and around, and, and the little logo on it says it's to. um Punish and enslave, I think. And you look at that and you're like, whoa, that's probably not a good cop. And it ends up being a Decepticon. I'm sorry to go into that for you guys right now, but that is, that is the whole idea of this. The ancient hope was never invested in the long foretold return of the gods someday crooned the oracles. The gods would descend from the heavens once again and renew the sharing of knowledge. Their empire would be restored. That's what they want. And their offspring would uh, occupy the venerable thrones of their former dominion. They want themselves to rule again. And the ancients wanted them to be able to rule again. They were mesmerized by the mythology and the cultures that they had known. They had seen these incredible powers manifest on earth for centuries. Their stories of old told them of this power, and they wanted it back. There's a term the Golden Age, coined by the Greek poet Hesiod, and it represents the dawn of humanity. Oh, the golden age. The dawn of humanity when the gods, lowercase, dwelt among men in an epoch of unparalleled peace and harmony. There was no hostility in nature and no need to toil in the field for food as the primordial soils freely gave of their bounty. Men lived almost immortal lives. We're talking about Garden of Eden, right? Persisting with a youthful figure for hundreds of years. Shortly thereafter, I should say, when finally death came knocking. At at the door it was a tranquil affair the pleasant passage from one state of being to another the spirits this is timothy the spirits of the heroic dead persisted in the world as ethereal guardians for the living plato further defines these guardian spirits as uh, diamonds uh, from which we derive the term demon in greek mythology a demon proceeded from the deceased corpse of a demigod the offspring of god and man in the golden age the god's Capitulated with women, human women, who conceived and gave birth to the golden race, the half-breed of heroes in the old world. Now, you know this. Having spawned the seed of the gods, the demigods were imbued with superhuman abilities. Finally, these fallen angels had a foothold on earth of their seed. They were revered as minor deities and venerated with their fathers. In the midst of ancient cultures, the hybrid sons of God were often appointed to rule over kingdoms of mortal men. The thrones of earthly dominion belonged by decree to their heirs of divine blood. Human tyrants throughout history have asserted their right to rule with the dubious claim that the blood of the gods coursed through their veins. Nimrod. The concept of the divine right of kings is rooted in the golden race and exemplified in the fabled realm that defines the golden age. Atlant. Tis so he goes in and he talks about the legend of Atlantis, how it was not derived by Walt Disney, and how Plato was actually probably on, and he goes into a good twenty page diatribe that I am not going to deal with, ha ha, because we've talked about it, and because you should get the book. You think Atlantis is a fairy tale? Time for you to read Chapter Seven of Birthright. Get it on Kindle, guys. That's all I do my stuff on. Don't cheap out. Papers, creepers. We're going to talk about Satan for a minute. Because we got to get into, I guess, uh what he's authorized to do and what he isn't. Satan himself is a watcher, so to speak, although he is, of course, in the uh, cherubim class. Being a watcher himself, Satan was well acquainted with the uh, vulnerabilities of his brethren. <laughs> so you see, Satan a lot of times, guys, in the Bible, he he takes a backseat. Like he sees, he kind of has his other henchmen uh, do this, do things. You know what I mean? Like it's really bad leadership, but it worked out good for him in the end. You know, it's that it's that manager at your company that's constantly throwing you out to try something, and then what works, he takes credit for, and uh, what doesn't, he's like, "Oh, we're gonna have to let you go." That type of thing. It's just bad leadership. But then again, I'm not working for Satan. So, you know, I don't care. I don't expect the man to have good, you know, leadership. That's not what he's looking to do. He's looking to punish and enslave. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, the descendants of Cain were craving another taste of the succulent fruit from the tree of knowledge. A desire the serpent was all too eager to oblige. I'm going to read here. According to a cult tradition, the satanic priesthood began with Cain. Who, now this is again, uh, the Freemasons. Anytime we do an episode on all this left hand stuff again, we're going to talk about that. Whew, geometry, all of it. The satanic priesthood began with Cain, who worshiped the dragon instead of Yahweh. I'm not saying this is in the Bible. Okay. So this is what these people and was rewarded with secret knowledge for his devotion. But I believe, I believe that this did happen, though it didn't have to happen with Cain. Obviously, we see Tubal Cain. We'll talk about that at some point. I don't know in this or whatever. I have talked about him before in in Lamech. Anyway, this is the origin of the Luciferian doctrine, which teaches that Yahweh is a tyrant and the enemy of man. Again, what's going on with the riots outside? Who made man a slave and kept him bound in the chains of ignorance. But the serpent was a friend of man. Hey, buddy. Who illuminated the darkness of his mind and freed him from the thraldom of Eden. The dragon priests of Cain would become willing vessels through whom the powers of the insurgency would influence the affairs of the world. And they have successfully, guys, altered the course of history. And they're still operating in the shadows today. We have evil and good, both working with governments today, both working to bring about the end of mankind. And I mean, the evil side. You, you look at the pieces of the board. You know, on one side, you've got the good guys. Obviously, on the other side, you got the bad guys. Uh, on one side, according to the, the Illuminati would be that you have the, Side of the good forbidden knowledge, which is, of course, what the fallen angels gave. Through the book of Enoch after Genesis six. And all the devil had to do, all Satan had to do is just bring all these things together, all these bad things we're having. Let's just bring them together with no one else getting punted into uh, the eternal prison again, like happened in Genesis 6. Let's not have what, those guys. Whoops. Sorry about 200 of you on Mount Hermon. Bad call. Uh, glad I wasn't a part of that one. Right? I mean, not me, Satan. I'm speaking for Satan now, guys. Okay. So, did you watch Game of Thrones? I did. Boy. I know the last season gets a bad rap, and it should. Still worth the watch. One of the most horrendous wrap-ups of all time. What happened? But anyway, the whole thing is that in the Game of Thrones, or if you're watching some medieval type of stuff, uh, you often see these kingdoms have rules, and they don't violate the rules. And it seems really weird now, but we have rules now. I mean, again, I don't want to timestamp this thing, but... Russia is in what month four of invading Ukraine. And it was, I mean, it was a hot topic when it first started, man, like all our eyes were glued to it. It's the end of the world. And now you're, you know, as, as we left month two and Russia was slowly advancing, but real slowly because the rest of the world was kind of by, you know, had a proxy war going and we're all feeding in different types of anti, you know, aircraft weapons and everything. They're like, once we kind of got into month two, America got bored. And we kind of moved on to like, what's, uh, what else is going on? What are the Kardashians doing? Like, we're so bad. Anyway, my point is that, uh, (laughs) my point is that we still have rules. Like Putin's not just lighting up nuclear weapons. Everybody's kind of got these rules that you play by and Satan does too. So you have to realize that Satan was authorized in the beginning by God to tempt, but nothing more. And he knew when the transgression of the watchers in Genesis six happened, it was nasty and he wanted nothing to do with that. So he knew there were rules moving on through the future. He knew that he wasn't going to take the route of having his boys try to have sex with women again. Although it did happen and it, you know, it to some extent, it could still be happening, but it's a, it's a, uh, Hardly ever thing, in my opinion, because they're all scared to death of it. I mean, even, even again, Legion at at Gennesaret, when Jesus was there at Gatoran and the Dominic, you know, the Legion inside was like, please don't throw me in the abyss like those watcher angels in Genesis 6. Please, 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 anything but that. Everybody knew it. Now, eventually... In the final hour, we are going to have a resurgence of that. That's the last-ditch effort. The fallen angels are going to once again procreate with women and just last-ditch effort. And we get the supernatural demigods once again upon the earth, which is the end times, which men's hearts will fail them. And all that happens again. In the end, it's all going to come back around, but it is in one of desperation. And the whole point here that should be pointed out and thought of is that, again— Satan has to use people to influence. Okay. We had, I won't, he, Timothy does a great job of going back into the book of Enoch and talking about all these different cutting of roots and that we've, we've gone through and what, how Satan used that to help destroy the earth by giving us forbidden knowledge that we didn't have from the very beginning. His point being that Satan's grip on us is from tossing things in like from time to time. Or if we don't invite him in, giving us that seed of being able to be something of God's ourselves and we whore after it. After all, his desire is to change the genetic code of man. That is everything to do with the mark of the beast. And that's everything to do with why the flood came in the first place. Now you know that. So Timothy goes into that. And I thought it was a really, really interesting read, but we've talked about that before. So I am going to pause on that one particularly. Oops, sorry. I hit my mic and I think something cut off there. Anyway, I want to talk about, um, <laughs> this, this idea of what happened as we're sitting in that Genesis six space, uh, I'm going to read actually from Timothy's uh, chapter eight. I love this. Apparently he says there are two reasons why Noah was favored by the Lord and preserved through the flood, right? First, because he was just a man who walked with God. And second, because he was, as the Bible says, perfect in his generations. Now you and I have often heard that and, a lot of people have speculated, was he sinless? Of course he wasn't sinless. He was perfect in his generations. So then was he the best available? <laughs> like, because everyone else, all flesh was corrupted. So, you know, it was, it was at least better than everyone else. I like this breakdown here. Hang on. I'm going to take another hit of coffee. Yikes. Hey, man, when you got me flying in between cities, like, this is what you get. I got to drink coffee on the way. You're lucky I'm not changing into clothes as I'm doing this or even showering. As I'm podcasting just to get it in. Could you imagine? (laughs) Uh, Okay. Uh, Because Noah was perfect in his generations. The word perfect employed in the text is derived from the Hebrew adjective timinim, which most often conveys biological purity. As in a lamb without a blemish. To say that Noah was perfect in his generations is equivalent to saying that he was pure in his genome. Noah's hereditary genetic profile was uncontaminated by the plague that was corrupting all flesh. He was therefore specifically selected to reseed humanity after the flood. Aside from the eight members of Noah's family, careful selections were also made among the animal species according to the purity of their genomes. This is great. The, uh, this is evidenced. In the fact that two of every kind, and that means species, gang, uh, were sent to Noah for preservation on the ark. If you've never been, again, the Creation Museum, you know, it's a – for what it is. But the idea there is that they do – I think they do a great job of saying you don't have to have every kind of everything. You just have to have two of each species. How could he fit every kind of everything on the ark, man? <laughs> could never hold it this story sucks it's not that you just have to have two in a species and they can mate and have other okay i don't explain this to you guys do i good it's raining outside oh i'll read from the scripture and of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you they shall be male and female of the birds after their kind of animals after their kind and every Creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Pretty cool, huh? Raphael's, uh, he says, directive to heal the plague before the destruction of the earth can now be understood. The hereditary uh, propagation of the Watcher's DNA corrupting the genomes of all flesh had to be redressed if a pure genetic stock was to be preserved for the receding of species after the flood. Additionally, Noah and his sons were still perfectly human. But Shem, Ham, and Japheth needed genetically viable wives if they were to repopulate the world with uncontaminated offspring. You with me? While Raphael was... Remedying the plague – oh, this is something he had talked about earlier. I'm sorry that I – you're probably going, where did Raphael come into this, but you got to read the book. To secure a viable seed bank, Uriel was preparing Noah to build the ark that would carry it through the meldstorm of the flood, and Gabriel was uh, inciting war among the offspring of the watchers to ensure they did not interfere in the making of the boat. Timothy says, we should not envision a cartoonish scene of giants beating each other over the head with wooden clubs. He's talking about the Nephilim and everything that was happening on Earth. All flesh was corrupted. I'm telling you guys, there were minotaurs, satyrs, you know, uh, giants, cyclops. It was rough. He says, this was a hybrid civil war. Kingdom against kingdom, race against race, fielding the technological armaments forged from the secrets of the Watchers. With homicidal rage, the progeny of the gods slaughtered one another in epic battles, laying waste to their realms and reducing their megalithic fortifications to rubble. So what he's saying is here before the flood, all these demigods and giants, in the earth looked different. I mean, the cities look different, all of it. And, you know, you want to think of what's it called, Pangea, um, before the flood that, you know, every everybody had this one continent, possibly. Uh, there's some good indications for that. I don't really, it's beyond the scope of what we're doing here. But anyway, uh you did have they were just starting to absolutely lay waste to each other because all flesh was corrupted, and it was a giant cannibalistic. If you read the book of Enoch, Cesspool. Michael was dispatched to bring Semyaza and his associates and force to watch. So Michael's gathering the fallen angels that are watching all their demigod sons that they, that they their descendants had, had with humans, watch them butcher themselves. Right? A curious addendum is attached to this commission. It's from the book of Eden. And no request that they make of thee shall be granted until their father's on their behalf, for they hope to live an eternal life, and that each one of them will live 500 years. Here it would seem is an endorsement of our previous postulation. The watchers had wagered, however imprudently, that their daring enterprise might be pardoned by the king. They hoped that their sons would be granted a long life on earth, which is the Nephilim, followed by eternal life with them in paradise. The request was flatly denied. Indeed, to their horror, Timothy says, the fate of their offspring would be quite the opposite. After perishing in battle, the souls of the Nephilim would be cursed to wander the earth as vagabonds, tormented with the appetites of the flesh, but without bodies to satisfy them the ghosts, the demons, the poltergeists that we see today. That was my you know, I mean, you had to go back to some old Metallica, I thought I was started out uh learning electric guitar. All right, read from the book of Enoch. And now the giants who were produced from the spirits and the flesh shall be called evil spirits upon the earth and on the earth shall be their dwelling. Evil spirits have proceeded from their bodies because they are born from men and from the holy watches is their beginning and primal origin. They shall be evil spirits on earth and evil spirits shall they be called. As for the spirits of heaven, in heaven shall be their dwelling. But as for the spirits of the earth, which were born upon the earth and on the earth shall be their dwelling. And The spirits of the giants afflict Oppress, destroy, attack, do battle, and work destruction on the earth and cause trouble. They take no food, but nevertheless hunger and thirst and cause offenses. And these spirits shall rise up against the children of men and against the women, because they have proceeded from them. Still think the book of Enoch is heresy? I mean, at least the beginning of it. From the days of the slaughter and destruction and death of the giants, from the souls of whose flesh have spirits, having gone forth, shall destroy without incurring judgment. Thus shall they destroy until the day of consummation the great judgment in which the age shall be consummated. Over the watchers and the godless, yea, shall be wholly consummated. Timothy says, we can extrapolate that the disembodied spirits of the giants, like the diamonds of the Greek lore, diamones, I should say, of the Greek lore, became the demons of the post-Illuvian age and encountered in the biblical narrative. So let's sit here for a minute. Kyle, I thought this thing was on like UFOs and stuff. Guys. The judgment of the Watchers and their offspring, the Nephilim, was not delivered directly to them by the powers of heaven, but through a man. Now, this is really important, and it's going to be important in the study of the end times. It's going to be important with the UFO thing. As the Watchers had trespassed and transgressed into Adam's realm, it was fitting that one of his descendants be the mediator between the Divine Council and its defected members, Enoch. So he... He goes into this great thing about Enoch and what Enoch did as this basic lawyer on behalf of the Lord and really on behalf of Noah and mankind, so to speak, uh, and the amazing tales that are in the book of Enoch that I believe are true. Again, within the first book of Enoch one, of course, things get added to the end of that. That's why it's not canon. It's not why it's not scripture. So he goes and he goes into great length about what Enoch did between these fallen angels desperately trying to save their kids, trying to save themselves, and between, you know, what God does basically on behalf of humans. And I think that's amazing. And what that does with Timothy, and I'm not going to go into this, you got to get the book, is that takes him into Atlantis Rising, um, is one of his chapters here in his book that I'm completely skipping for this. I have done things on Atlantis. Uh, I did not add this stuff into that when I originally did my Atlantis things, but it is incredible to think of. You, again, you think of Atlantis as just a fable. You need to get this book. We, we end up thinking as did some people in the ancient world that these lowercase gods, right? Are, are distant, all powerful beings who control the force of nature. And when appeased, they bless the land with fair weather and good crops, right? I mean, that's when you read any ancient thing, both uh, outside of Israel in the Old Testament, and then just, you know, history wise, you're going to see this, that they have all these things of this is the God of, uh, you know, cows on the, on the right, on the north side of the slope. And this is the God of the, uh, sugar snap peas in my soup, right? They just had so many things and superstitions and, and all of that. And I think Timothy does a great day of winding that into the golden age and Atlantis and where that actually comes from. So I don't want to get into that stuff at this point, but you have this, uh this Lucifer son of the morning who is assembling all of these these bad guys together loosely for the divine working of what he says is a great plan. And he rolls into how Satan goes into hiding after the new Testament. He was truly, I mean, this was a rough one for him. The resurrection and the ascension. You ever watched your favorite team race, whatever, and you are just cheering so hard because there's five seconds left or whatever you have won. There's one second left, any, whatever's the worst memory of your life to where you are just cheering. And then all of a sudden in the final moment, everything gets overturned and you lose that times a billion is what Satan had upon the resurrection. And he goes underground. And I want to quote from here. Uh, Let me see where I want to jump in. Bear with me. Okay, I'm going to read. I'm actually going to quote. Timothy Albarino here to the uninitiated masses of the ancient world. The gods were distant, all powerful beings who controlled the forces of nature. When appeased, they blessed the land with fair weather and good crops. But when offended, they sent plagues, earthquakes and hurricanes to punish the impudent mortals who angered them. The initiates of the mysteries knew better now. So, okay, so where he's gone here since I forwarded so far into his book. Is he starting to talk about the Freemasons? Well, the Illuminati, Rosicrucians, okay, uh, Knights Templar, all that kind of stuff. The beginning, and you even go back further than that. Again, that the um, Brotherhood of the Snake in Egypt, and all that stuff. This is the beginning of the Illuminati gang. The initiates of the mysteries knew better. To them, the gods were close at hand. Moving serotypish, uh, serpetic, Oh boy, why? When I clearly know words. surreptitiously through the passing uh, for centuries. It is early, gang communicating their great plan to the elect. Those chosen men and women deemed worthy to be co-conspirators. Albert Pike, who held the office of sovereign sovereign grand commander of the Scottish Rite in the late 19th century, was one of the most influential Masons in American history, wrote that the imagined mythical beings in the pantheons of the ancient Persians, Indians, Egyptians, Greeks, and Romans were but uh, poetical illusions to satisfy the vulgar because, quote, men still look back with longing to the lost golden age, he says, when his ancestors communed face to face with the gods and hoped that by propitiating heaven, he might accelerate the renewal of it. Pike and those among his colleagues who were privy to the true doctrinal doctrines of Freemasonry at the highest degrees knew that the mythological lowercase gods of yore were not literal beings, but metaphorical allusions to an elder race of masters who needed the cooperation of enlightened humans to help them—this is from them—to to restore their empire and renew their face-to-face communication of the Golden Age. In order to accomplish this divine working, the dragon priests must gradually illuminate the world with the light of Lucifer and guide mankind to willfully invoke the return and the rule of the gods. Lucifer, the light bearer, exclaims Pike, in the morals and dogma. Strange and mysterious name to give the spirit of darkness, comma, Lucifer, comma, the son of the morning. (laughs) Laugh at him all you want, boss. Did I just transport the 1930s? It is he who bears the light and with its splendors, intolerable, blind, feeble, sensual, or selfish souls. Doubt it not. I should have read that in 1930s. Strange and mysterious name to give the spirit of darkness. Lucifer, the son of the morning, is it he who bears the light, and with its splendours intolerable blinds feeble? I went Irish since sensual or selfish souls doubt it not. Gosh, what was that? Okay, so I'm going to read on here. Hang on, just a little bit, and then we're drawing we're close to the end of this one because you know I got to got to get on a plane. This is great. If I didn't lose you already, this is going to be good. I'm not going to lose you anymore. Uh, Timothy says, the divine working of the Great Plan, which for hundreds of years remained hidden within – after the New Testament, within the clandestine chambers of secret societies, was externalized in the 19th century. If you don't know, that's the 1800s. Some people really get confused on that. Directly corresponding with the rise of occultism, Darwinism. And as will become apparent, guys, yes, we have made it. The UFO phenomenon. Thank you, Guyle. Timothy says, in the 20th century, the blatant Luciferianism of the Osophy was repackaged to reach a broader audience, including, and most importantly, check this out, guys, a Christian audience. To this end, biblical terminology was co-opted by, we've talked about, Madame Blavatsky, protégés in the Alistair Coley thing, to make the doctrines of the mysteries more palatable on the Christian tongue. Christ became the central figure of their teaching, but not the Christ of Scripture. Anyone familiar with the New Age Messiah will immediately recognize him as Antichrist. The New Age is synonymous with the New Golden Age and the Theosophical Christ with Apollo. Rather than refer to the gods of old, theosophists wrote, and still write from the 1800s on, about the wise and benevolent members of the hierarchy, i.e. the insurgency, who are working through their human co-conspirators to bring about – here we go. You guys want to know what it's all about? A restoration of the Atlantean world order. What do the Illuminati's want? What do the Charles Santa 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 Claus Schwab bin Land? New Schwab bin in Antarctica. What, are they, what does everybody want? They want the old gods brought back. They want the golden age, the time between Genesis 6 and the flood. While Noah was building that ark. While all flesh had been corrupted, we see a crossing right now from the new religion, which is everything of the modern day Freemasons, New Age, all of it, to What we're seeing in the postmodern or post-human, I should say, paradigm, which is genetics, robotics, AI, nanotech, all of it, married with what we are increasingly seeing in our skies, which is an alien threat, one that our government is totally on board with now, revealing. In the middle of those three things, this desire for a new religion, age, this AI, robotics plunge, and this thing we're seeing in the skies, you marry those things. What do they all have in common? It's a new golden age where if you go back and listen to my tracking the gods from Derek Gilbert series, it's about Apollo. It's about the revelation of the old gods coming back. Timothy goes on. And he shows where we went wrong with atheism coming in, um, postmodernism, all of that stuff where we have decided to defy him. He talks about Alistair Crowley and uh, uh, he even talks about Ben Stein's uh, Remember that expelled, no intelligence renewed. He actually, I want to think I want to read this. Stein says in that, what do you think is the possibility that intelligent design might turn out to be the answer to some issues in genetics or in evolution and dawkins says well it could come about in the following way it could be that at some time earlier somewhere in the universe a civilization civilization evolved really by probably some kind of darwinian means to a very very high level of technology okay and designed a form of life that seeded into perhaps this planet he says now That is a possibility and an intriguing possibility. And I suppose he says it's possible that you might find evidence for that. If you look at the detail, the details of biochemistry, molecular biology, you might find a signature of some sort of designer. And that designer could well be a higher intelligence from elsewhere in the universe, but that higher intelligence would itself had have to have come about by some explicable and ultimately explicable. Process. It couldn't have just jumped into existence spontaneously. That's the point. And then Ben Stein says So Professor Dawkins was not against intelligent design, just certain types of designers, such as God. We see that in today's culture, don't we? <sighs> People don't know why they hate God. Maybe they'll even say they don't, you know, you know, what's actually popular these days and you read in the end times will be all about false prophets. Right. And you always used to think that those were all about um, people rising up that say, I'm Jesus Christ. Follow me. And I was always like, that's who's going to do that. You know, like that's dumb. You know, it's David Qureshi. And then the other side is like, oh, well, it's these pastors that are slowly leading congregations into. And, yeah, I think that's some of it, too, because we are way off kilter as a church gang. As the big C in the world, I am I am absolutely disillusioned with it. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, I wouldn't go to church. I'm just I've, I'm traveling too much now. We absolutely 100 percent tithe and, uh you know do online church when we can, but I have some serious issues with the physical church right now. Now, not getting into that at the moment, we have lost our way and it is given, it is given to uh an idea that the Jesus of the Bible is actually more conforming to the uh, ideas of the world today as people are riding in the streets for abortions and gay rights and, and all whatever it is. Um, very popular in the meme world now is posting things on Reddit and Imgerm, you know, wherever you, I read a lot of Reddit or whatever, wherever you get your things, um, you know, and it's, it's this, uh, it's sometimes it's done with a bullet point thing, but it's, this is the Jesus that would actually be here today. And what they're doing is they're, they're just saying, well, Jesus never talked about, you know, uh, sleeping together before marriage. She's never talked about, I mean, he kind of did in that, but you get it. Jesus never talked about this or that or that. And they're all like, you know, so they put these bullet points down. and They go, actually, if Jesus came today, none of the Christians would even follow him. Do you know who would? All of us LGBTQ794 and all of us atheists and everything, that's the Jesus that we see. And that's the Jesus that culture is turning him into. Can it be reversed? I don't think so. It doesn't mean we don't try. It doesn't mean, you know, better time than never now to show the love of Christ, guys. And anyone who can ask, what's the difference in you? You lead them to Christ, friends. We are at a very dark age. Now, in the realm of God, does that mean that the, you know, what I believe to be the rapture coming soon? Does that mean it's going to happen this year? I certainly hope so. Does that mean it could happen in 20 years? Absolutely. Does that mean it could happen in a thousand years? I'm just going to tell you my opinion. It, it doesn't look like it. It looks sooner than later. We're going to stop this right now. And uh, because the next portion that we get into, and I think that we may wrap up in the next one, if it's a two hour one, I'll do that one for Minneapolis at some point. But uh that we're going to get into the alien threats. And this is going to get, this is really what you came here for. Not really. You came here for all the backstory. It's drilling down. We don't, we don't just, we don't go for the fluff. So I want to thank you guys for hanging out with me. And, uh, certainly I'm going to fit these in when I can. Thank you for your patience with me as well. I'm getting these fired back up. And I love you. And I need to go down to the lobby and get more coffee. So goodbye.